This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of... I'm going to probably release this on Ruby Rogues and Elixir Mix, so you're probably listening to one of those. We're going to be talking about GDPR, and I have an expert here. It's Jarno Mintfist. Exactly. Did I get anything close? Yes, uh, correct. Do you want to just introduce yourself really quickly? Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Jarno Lindquist from uh, SAS Institute's uh, Finland office, working in, in Helsinki mm-hmm. on matters uh, regarding uh, mostly data management, technical architecture, and including in the last two years very much the GDPR regulation and how to uh, adapt our users and uh, use the technology for solving GDPR oriented issues. Interesting. So I've, I've had a lot of developers reach out to me and basically, you know, tell me that they're concerned about GDPR. And the thing that I think is really interesting to me about it is that this is mostly, it seems, how you manage data and, you know, and so it, it's almost rules that you're just going to get from your uh, security team or your compliance team at your company telling you what you have to implement for GDPR. So it's not, it's, it's not, I mean, it is going to translate into technical requirements, but it seems like the people who need to most deeply understand it are probably not going to be the developers. They're just going to develop a lot of the features that they're being asked to develop. Does that, does that jive with kind of what you're looking at or? I, I totally agree in that the GDPR is, is about data governance and ultimately data management. Organization-wise, it typically comes from upper management, from legal, and then in the end, of course, the people who work with data, who develop software on data, who use data for analytics and reports. So that's how the chain typically goes. Makes sense. So are there things then that we as software developers need to understand, or is, is this mostly going to be informational so that we can speak to GDPR when somebody brings it up? Well, I think many organizations well, here, here in Europe have had uh, their employees take uh, GDPR basic education so they will know what the whole thing is about. But in the end, it's, it's not uh, something entirely new because we have had data protection laws before. Mm-hmm. So this uh, GDPR is, is way of unifying those laws so that each country will process data according to the same laws. And of course, there has been lots of variants, like, like Finland has had pretty strict laws on data protection already before the GDPR. So now, at, at least uh, whole Europe should be behaving according to those. And of course, not just Europe, but uh, companies globally who work with data that concerns uh, EU citizens. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, a, a lot of it, it makes sense to the extent that it's, hey, you know, we have these EU citizens and we have, um, 
companies that operate within the EU, but I've heard a lot of uh, US companies complaining that they have to comply with GDPR because they want to do business in Europe. Uh, that's true. And of course, I, I work for a US-based company myself, so I've seen the effect how, how, how uh, our headquarters has, has taken GDPR into effect internally within the company. So it's, it's true. Makes sense. So what kind of data are we talking about with GDPR? Let's just start with the really basic stuff. Um, you know, how, how do I know if I have to worry about GDPR and what I'm doing? Well, uh, personal data, broadly defined, is any data that uh, can identify a natural person. So it's not limited to a certain type of data. Any data or combination of different data can can form up or fulfill the definition of personal data. So starting from the obvious things like... uh, uh, national identifiers, passport numbers, your name, address, date of birth, and such things. It extends into your health records or your personal biases like uh, sexual orientation and uh, such things. So, and even extends to the machine data like IP addresses or cookies after using your web browser. So it's it's very broad defined concept. That's interesting. So GPS data is another one that comes to mind that may fall into that, right? Because you can identify somebody by where they've been. True, true. Yeah, I've uh, read, read about using that and how that fits into, into the regulation as well. So interesting. lots of <laughs> examples. Of course, so, well, uh-huh. of course, the Companies uh, start with with the most obvious things like their customer records, their employee records, that form up like the bulk of the personal data that they process. So, w- when they started a couple of years back, analyzing in the first place what kind of personal data we have, where it's located, that that was the first thing that they started working on. It's it's good to know that. Even though the legislation came into effect last month uh, or uh, or in May, that, uh, it has been in, in effect since uh, 2016 that the law was was enacted then, but uh, uh, the the legal ramifications started um, a month ago. So in 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 the essence, uh, any new computer system or software that has been developed in the past two years uh, should have been uh, developed under the GDPR guidelines. That makes sense. So when we're talking about protecting data, I mean, are we restricting access? Are we encrypting it? I mean, what are we talking about here? Uh, those are good examples of, of how to protect the data. Like data security is one one. Uh, sub-concept of, of data protection. And I've uh, talked with a lot of uh, organizations about how, what they are doing to pro- protect the data. And things that always come up is this uh, limiting access to systems, uh, limiting uh, the data risk in such that we uh, only use the data necessary to fulfill the task. So any redundant personal data we get rid of. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if we can't get rid of by uh, legal obligations or some other reason, we protect it in uh, necessary measures such as uh, encryption or 
pseudonymization or many other methods available out there. Now, one thing that comes to mind is, I mean, for me, you know, I'm doing podcasts and reaching out to developers. So the only identifying information I really get is typically like a name, maybe an IP address and an email address. Um, and, and those are kind of required for me to get done what I need to get done. But one thing that I'm curious about is for companies that, you know, you mentioned medical records. Well, there are companies that are built around, you know, curating and managing medical records. So since they're going to be retrieving and displaying that for doctors or for the patients or for whoever, and then this is just an example, I mean, what, what measures do they need to take? I mean, are they going to need to be doing things similar to the U.S.'s HIPAA laws or um, is, is that not a good example? Well, there's different ways to categorize the sensitivity and the health data, as, as you mentioned, as example, is, is definitely something that falls into the sensitive category. So that needs to be, of course, <laughs> protected extra carefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, but if it's my job to display that data or to find trends in that data for the patients then, you know, you can protect it, but you have to make it accessible at the same time. Of and course. So those, those seem to be at odds with each other, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the balance between protecting data and still keeping it usable is, is something that I uh, dealt with in, in that blog post that you, you found. It's about uh, taking the necessary precautions while... Uh, of course, keeping a record of how you process it, uh, who are the parties that you deliver the data to, to, because keeping in mind that you need to be able to answer that question. If, if that data subject comes to you as the data controller, you need to be able to answer how we have uh, processed, what data we have kept on you, and what external parties we have uh, exposed your data to. So. It, it's uh, it, a lot of GDPR is about uh, keeping records and uh, governing the data usage. Yeah, you, so you mentioned uh, that you have to keep track of who you've displayed the data to or who you shared it with. And what, what, what were the other guidelines that were there as far as what, I guess the other one was what data you have, right? what you have collected, what purpose, what it, there are five or six uh, uh, legislative reasons for, uh, in the first place, to process a person's data. So you need to make sure that at least one of those is, is fulfilled. So example could be that uh, I have made a contract with, with the company or organization that I agree to their processing of my data when I become their customer. I have a similar kind of agreement with my employer that they keep records of my data. So there always needs to be a legal reason in the first place to uh, allow the controller or the organization to, to store and process the data. Mm-hmm. If, if there's no none of those fulfilled, then you basically need to erase the person's data. Like if I have been a subscriber of a, magazine or, or, or some other product, uh, then I end my subscription and tell them that, please remove all data you have on me. Under the GDPR, they have to comply these days. 
So they can't keep it around and try to get you to resubscribe later. No, but they, they can uh, keep it in a, a pseudonymized uh, form so that it doesn't identify me as a person. But if they still want to do analytics based on that data, they can uh, keep that uh, pseudonymized or uh, protected version <laughs> version of me. Okay. That makes sense. So as long as they anonymize it, they remove any identifying information, they can keep the data. That's true. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess this leads to another thing that I keep hearing here. And I don't know, it, it depends on which side of the issue you're on, I guess, to determine whether or not uh, what you think about it. And, and I've heard different things about it, but people talk about basically the right to be forgotten. Yep. So do you want to just explain that? So that's uh, like the next step of when I, I just explained that uh, you have the right to know what data is stored about you. And uh, after our uh, contractual reasons or legislative reasons for for you to keep my data no longer exists, then, then I can ask you to erase mm-hmm. all data that you have on me. Of course, this is uh, applicable to mainly commercial businesses like my uh, tax administration probably wants to keep my data and has also the right to do so, even if, if I state that I want them to re- remove all my data. And uh, many other uh, government op- operators, of course, mm-hmm. have legislative reasons to maintain person's data. Do they have a certain amount of time to comply? <laughs> I'm sure that they do. I just can't uh, tell what is offhand. Okay. So uh, with U.S. companies, do they only have to then comply with these guidelines for EU citizens? Uh, for for any data uh, about EU citizens. So it's, it's not in, in that sense automatic that if, if you deal with, let's say, European companies or, or persons, but if you actually process their data, so you store it, they use for purposes, then then you have to comply with GDPR. Okay. But if I'm operating in the United States and I'm so inclined, I could build a separate system for American citizens and keep and maintain their data separately and not go through all the rigor of GDPR. Yeah, in that case, it would not uh, fall under the GDPR umbrella. What about, and, and I'm going to ask about a couple of edge cases, what about mem- uh, EU citizens who are living abroad? So say they're living in the United States or South America or Asia somewhere. Does this still apply to them? Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't okay. give definite answers on that. So, but uh, I would imagine as long as you are a citizen of an EU state, that uh, GDPR will apply to you no matter where you live. Makes sense. One other thing that I'm I'm a little curious about, and I've done some work on HIPAA, and that's where this is coming from, is that HIPAA regulates not only computer files, but also physical files. So does GDPR apply to, like, uh, if somebody prints off personal data or, you know, they maybe they maintain the, the, the records by hand and they keep them in their office? Yeah, it, it does not matter what media the, the data is stored under computer files, but equally uh, manually processed or, or printouts or 
existing archives from the <laughs> from the past. They are also under the GDPR. Uh, to get back to what you asked uh, a few minutes ago about the deadline when when I asked to be erased. I just uh, happened to find the answer here. It's without undue delay and not later than in one month from receiving the request. So okay. One month is the time limit. So as soon as you can, not to exceed one month. Yeah. So what, what kinds of measures have you seen companies taking to comply with GDPR? Um, well, let's see. I have discussed with with uh, quite many organizations on this, and and most of them have started by uh, making a record of of where their personal data is stored and what kind of personal data they have. Mm-hmm. So they have started not by uh, not with the software or IT exercise, but rather uh, starting to catalog the the data stores that they have in order to get a wide or full picture of of, uh, what personal data they process. But uh, also uh, many companies already have been in very good place with that. So it's not the entirely new thing with GDP. It has always been the basic building block of data governance to understand your data and, and, and the process that you use to manage it. So uh, most companies have been in, in pretty good place on that sense already. The next thing that, that they have done is, is, is to make a gap analysis of, of where they are now and uh, what steps, typically what minimum steps they will need to take to fulfill the regulation mm-hmm. requirements. And from then on, started to probably uh, draft a GDPR project. This, of course, varies a lot in, in what kind of a business you are in. If you are, a, let's say, financial institution, a telecom operator, media company that stores and uh, processes uh, lots of personal data, like millions of people's personal data, they have taken those steps many, many years ago when GDPR first started to become a topic. But then smaller shops like uh, mid-sized manufacturing business, they they might have only their customer register. They might have their own HR register, so not much else. So it's uh, the the scope of the task is, is very different in that case. Right. Is there anything else about GDPR that people ought to know about that we haven't covered? Uh, now that it's in effect, the work is uh, in most cases not done. So the the GDPR work continues. Not many companies even claim that they were 100% ready when, when the regulation came into effect. So it's an ongoing work. And of course, uh, from data governance point of view, you need to keep your uh, data catalogs, your, your own registries updated as, as data is not stable ever. So new data comes in, some data must be erased and, and all the policies regarding 
what data to keep, what data to get rid of, and so on and so on. So it's a continuous process. That makes sense. So I'm not sure if there's anything else that I can think of to ask, but I think I think this gives people an idea of what GDPR is about. How do we have the conversations then or start the conversations with the people we work with about GDPR? Uh, people we work with, in, in uh, do you have a particular... So let's say that uh, somebody proposes a feature to the software that we work on and um, we have concerns with regards to GDPR. Um, is, is there a good place where we can, you know, not only just bring it up, but, you know, refer them to, hey, it looks like this might be personally identifying information, um, you know, and, and here's where I'm looking to figure this out on GDPR. Uh, that, that comes to concept of, of privacy by default, privacy by design. So mm -hmm. each new project or even a feature should have a component of, typically would have a component of data security, but uh, data protection should should be uh, added as, as uh, one of the things to consider. Uh, typically organizations have set up their data proce processing policy that dictates the use use of personal data within that organization. So it might mean, let's say from a dev developer's perspective that, well, before when we developed, we might take the whole customer database and test our new feature against that. Now with GDPR in effect, in effect we uh, should consider that, do we really need the full records of everyone? Could we do with maybe a subset of the data or would it make sense to pseudonymize or anonymize some of the most sensitive fields in that test data that we use? So not rocket science, but common sense in, in limiting the risk when processing data that contains personal information. That makes sense. One other question that I have is um, a lot of us use different like cloud providers and stuff, right? We're on Amazon or, uh, you know, some of these other cloud providers. How do we make sure that they are being compliant with our data? Well, the cloud providers uh, typically provide very detailed uh, descriptions of how they process data and what uh, kind of security measures they have taken to pro protect it. So, I think that would be the first place to, to start to ask for their uh, data security policy. Mm -hmm. And of, of course, asking directly. They have experts that, that answer those questions quite, quite readily that uh, what, what measures they have taken to protect your data. That makes sense. I mean, in general, the cloud providers are, are very advanced with that that kind of issues because it's the core of their business. So com com that's true that com compared to a small medium sized businesses or own, uh, own machine rooms and let's say a global cloud provider, they, they are <laughs> probably quite far ahead on, on, on that, that, that side. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it is a selling point at this point. Oh, you'll just exactly. handle all of my GDPR problems. And then exactly. I just have to be intelligent about my data. Yeah, yeah. And in, 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 for any business to be compliant with, with GDPR, I think it's a 
marketing point as well, because who would not rather do business with someone who can prove that they have taken the steps to govern the data and protect their data and, and have some kind of, uh, let's say, a document or certification or, or training at least to to prove that they are in compliance with, with that GDPR. Yeah, that makes sense. And we have not discussed that that much about the positive things that GDPR can bring. Of course, it, it starts with being able to fulfill that uh, requirements. But, but after you have at least partially done the required things for, for GDPR, you, you will be able to better govern your data. You know where your data assets are. You can better utilize it for your business needs, uh, for doing analytics, for doing reporting and, and using it for any any business purpose. I, I think that's really an interesting point to bring up is that I think a lot of people are focusing on the stuff that they have to do. And the reality is, is yeah, I mean, if you have an inventory, here's the data that we collect, here's the data that, we're, you know, here's how we're managing it, you know, and sure, here's how we're protecting it so that we comply with GDPR. Yeah, the flip side is, is somebody says, we need to know, you know, this thing about our business. And you can say, well, we already have this data because you've already looked at it and you know how it's being managed because you want to comply or need to comply with GDPR. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Are there any other benefits, direct or side benefits that that come out of GDPR? The two two main reasons are, at least from, from my point of view, is, is that uh, it's good for your company brand to prove that, you are compliant and, and then the extended knowledge of, of uh, governing your data. But aside from that, of, of course, it might speed up your business processes when you have good control and governance of your data. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to start new projects without having to do some sort of data discovery or mapping project in, in, uh, before going into the actual actual project yeah that makes sense and when you are taking care of the uh, compliance issues you will as a side effect look into how you are uh, protecting the data how you are uh, limiting access providing access rights to data you will know who uses the data you will know who uses it for what purpose you might have looked in the, into the audit process for your data so that when the person or customer comes to ask that, how do you use my data? You can uh, provide them with a report that these are the <laughs> uh, log entries that show that your data has been accessed uh, by these uh, justification by this department. So it, it, uh, can go into very deep in, in the details of, of being able to show actual data usage. I have heard, uh, I have not tried it myself, but of course these days anyone can send a request to a global company like Google or Facebook that uh, please send me a report of, of what kind of data you have on me and what are you using it for. So the replies that they have gotten are huge. So, <laughs> as you can mm-hmm. imagine, and uh, 
thing is that any any uh, organization that processes and stores data needs to be able to answer that request. So that I think that has been one of the big, biggest obstacles for companies when they have uh, been solving the GDPR issue that if these requests start coming in 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 a big scale, how they can automate the process so their business won't be totally jammed with with uh, trying to fulfill those kind of requests. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, does this apply to deceased people? So, for example, my dad died uh, a couple of months ago, and I could see us, you know, under certain circumstances, wanting to go in and say, "What data do you have on him?" And can you delete all your data on him? Can we? Could we do that if we were EU citizens? That's a very good question. Also, one that I can't answer offhand. Sorry to hear about your dad, but uh, no one's ever asked me that, so <laughs> I can't offhand say what. I'm sure it has been thought of in the regulation somehow that there's a, maybe a time limit or. Yeah. No, it's fine. So the last question that I have, I guess, is if people want to dive in and start learning more about GDPR, you know, this has kind of gotten them to, okay, I kind of get it. um, But I want to learn more about what's out there. And, you know, maybe some of the court cases that are coming up or will come up. I mean, is there a place where people can keep track of information on GDPR, Um, you know, changes or... um, guidelines or best practices or as i said before court cases um i can't tell about how how it works in us but in europe the member states each have a national data protection uh, authority like in finland it's the office of the data protection ombudsman so they have very good instructions for both uh private citizens and for organizations on how to put the GDPR things into practice. So okay. I don't know what, what the corresponding uh, authority would, would be in the U.S. for for that. But uh, of, of course, the, the basic level or the core of the GDPR is accessible from the European Union's own website if you search for gdpr you will get the legal text but they have gone a bit further there's also this uh, they have made these uh, annexes or uh, additions that write out in more detail how organizations can uh, comply or uh, bring into action those uh, requirements so Quite a lot of material exists today for doing that. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, The last section of our show is picks. And I don't know, because we kind of set this up in a different way than what I normally do, um, if if you were told about picks. So I'm just going to give you a brief rundown. But basically, picks are anything that you like, that you've gotten into lately, that you're excited about. So, you know, right now as we record this, uh, the World Cup is going on. And so, you know, you could pick things related to that. Or if you like a particular TV show or a book or you saw a movie you liked or if they're, you know, if there are technical resources or GDPR resources you like, you can pick those as well. Um, it can be really anything. So are, are there a couple of things that you just want to shout out about that you think are really cool? Uh, I'm not uh, 
huge soccer fan myself, so <laughs> I won't be sharing any 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 of those links. But uh, for if you're interested in in finding out more about GDPR, then there's quite a lot of stuff, for example, on YouTube that that you could check out. A uh, couple of uh, my colleagues that uh, primarily work work on the field uh, GDPR field have uh, published videos on on how to find out more about the GDPR. So I just I think those went into the same line. But uh, anyway, and then the, there was a quite recent uh, SAS. Uh, research on GDPR compliance. So one more link if, if you want to, oh, why they all go <laughs> that it's, it's all fine. same line. So that, that's a good white paper to, to, to see uh, what measures companies have taken, where, where they uh, were in uh, March of this year, a couple of months before the GDPR went, went into action. So those are pretty good links. Awesome. Well, I'm going to jump in and pick then. And uh, I am a soccer fan. So, um, <laughs> uh, no. What's your favorite team then? So the teams that I usually follow are Italy and the USA, neither of which made it into this year's World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I lived in Italy for two years as a oh, Mormon oh. missionary. So, um, you know, and I got to watch them in the Euro Cup while I was there. And that was fun. And so that's kind of why I follow them. And then the U.S. national team just, you know, because I live here. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's it's been kind of interesting to just see all of the um, fans of other teams, I guess, speaking out and getting excited about the, the matches. Now, I also have to point out that I don't have cable, so <laughs> I can't actually watch them. So I've I've been trying to find them on YouTube, find the matches after the fact and see if I can watch some of the matches that way. But uh, anyway, I'm a big fan of the World Cup. Um, I think my wife is somewhat gratified that I didn't spend hours in front of the TV this year. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, well. uh, I, I really do enjoy that. And then um, I also, so my family, we went on a trip this uh, last week down to St. George, Utah, which is somewhat near Zion National Park. And we had a terrific time down there. We went down to Sand Hollow State Park, um, which is just a big reservoir. So you just, you know, go play in the water. And that was a lot of fun. So I'm going to shout out about uh, Sand Hollow State Park. And then also um, we watched a movie that I really enjoyed called um, I Can Only Imagine. And it's it's about uh, basically this songwriter's life and how he, you know, came to write this uh, song that's kind of become, at least in the U.S., kind of a Christian anthem. So um, anyway, it was a terrific movie. And I kind of like the movies about people, you know, overcoming uh, hard things and, and, you know, making something out of their life. And so, uh, anyway, really enjoyed that movie. So I'm going to pick that as well. Okay. Um, I have to look that one up. Yeah. But so one last question for you. Um, if people want to follow you or see what you're working on these days, are you on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere where people can, you know, see your blog posts or anything like that? I am on, on Twitter and, uh, my handle is data squire. So that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. 
really thought long and hard of what would still be available with the da- da- uh, words that start with data. So I'm a fan of uh, medieval fantasy, so Data Squire was quite obvious for me. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us for about 40 minutes. Um, hopefully this gets people a little ways down the road of you know, what GDPR means for them. And I'm sure that there are different things that people are going to be wondering specifically specific to what they do, right? Um, you know, whether it's medical data or advertising or anything else. So, um, you know, hopefully this gives, gets you the basics and then you can go and figure out how the rest of it uh, applies to you. Yeah, I was happy to be your guest and I, I hope that uh, I was able to provide at, at least a basic uh, idea of what, what the GDPR is about and how to put some of those uh, requirements into, into action when you work with data and develop new things around data. Yeah, I think I think we got a really good overview. So thank you, Jarno. And uh, we'll wrap this one up, folks, and we will be back next week. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.